One Control Port Podcast, episode 282. My name is Benjamin Yoder. I'm here today to tell you happy Halloween. This is going up on the 31st, an actual holiday podcast. Welcome. If you're watching the video version, I've got pumpkins all about and stuff. That's a fun time. Um, but yeah, uh, this show, though, mostly is going to be, um, well, it's, it's going to be a different type of show, but it's not going to be very Halloween themed or anything like that. Um, mainly, I was looking around, and you know, usually we have some news to talk about. I couldn't find anything worth talking about. I mean, we're getting close to the end of the year, right? And so news starts to slow down, and so you know, podcast becomes more more about just kind of random stuff. So I'm going to be giving at the first part of the show talking about like uh, you know just personal updates. You know, talk about, up, give you an update on the panel stuff. Uh, talk a little bit about um, what's coming up here, or at least the plans in the, in the near future. And then also a little bit of a, a out of out of the town escapade I had briefly as well. And then uh, after that, after the Patreon segment, we'll talk about uh, Asphalt Urban GT. And I think we'll probably talk about Castlevania Bloodlines as well. I think that will be within within reason to do that. And you know, Halloween spirit, talk about the Castlevania Bloodlines title. That seems reasonable enough, right? So, yeah. Um, but yeah, first and foremost is that, um, most of my, my week, the last week and a half has really been dedicated to, uh, work on getting the panels done. So, uh, just as a, a quick reminder, if you hadn't heard, I'm doing a panel up in Komori, at KomoriCon, uh, I believe, I'm not sure if I'm supposed to say when it is yet, honestly, it's going to be Sunday. I'll tell you that. Um, I'll tell you that much. I'm, I'm almost certain it'll be Sunday. So, so I'll be doing that on Sunday at KomoriCon and then, uh, but you know, check the schedule and everything. If, uh, when it goes up and then also on, um, uh, I'll be doing a panel after that at another convention, Sin City Anime, which I did a panel about, or did a panel with last year where I talked about the PCFX home console. Um, both of the, the panels this year are focused on purchasing things I only recently realized. Um, so the KomoriCom one is just an adaptation of the, uh, you know, buying retro games on a budget thing. Although I was really having a hard time um, adapting it from a video to a panel, like directly. So I ended up doing a little bit of more, more detailed and, and maybe a less like list format kind of thing. And just kind of going by point by point rather than being like, here's my five things kind of thing. And I think that helped out a lot. So that's pretty much done. Um, I, I've practiced it a handful of times. I think it should go well. There may be some concern about time, um, I've had times where I came in like pretty well below the, below the time limit. And then also I had times where I went a little bit over. Um, there is a segment that I could probably pretty easily quick, uh, uh, skip though. So if I do notice I'm, I'm running low on time, I could probably just go ahead and skip that segment where I just talk about Hunex maybe a little more in depth than I talked about in the video itself. Um, so, so yeah, I'm looking forward to doing that. The second one though, for KomoriCon or not KomoriCon, uh, Sin City Anime, that one uh, is still kind of in the, it, it, it's definitely, I like the first draft of the presentation, basically, or maybe like a second draft or something. I, I did some work after the first draft kind of thing, but um, I am still trying to work out the flow of how I talk about things. I'm kind of realizing that because it's very much a panel that's just like, hey, 
here's my personal experience with buying things online and what I do and things like that. I'm, I'm not really talking super authoritatively about it, right? I'm just kind of like, here's the things. Like, I don't I don't fully understand this subject, but here's the path that I've taken kind of thing, right? So I, need, I think I need to say that at the start, but I also think it makes it feel a little different because it feels more like I'm just kind of giving, you know, talk, telling a little bit about my experiences rather than sitting there and like saying like, here's how I approach things. Here's how it might help you too kind of thing. So anyways, it's coming together pretty well, I think overall. And I think I'll, 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 uh, have a good time doing those and everything. So looking forward to it. That the Sin, Sin City anime one is also on a Sunday as well. Uh, I don't know if they've put out their schedule yet, um, for that, but that, that will be on a Sunday. Both of them are pretty early in the, in the morning Sunday, or at least like a little bit before noon. So at least where they're scheduled right now. But again, go check the actual uh, schedules when they post those up, and then you'll see wherever I end up being on there. So, and once I have this, once the schedule's actually up, I'll, I'll post the official time, you know, somewhere <laughs> on, on, on the platforms I usually do. I feel like that's YouTube, Twitter, and then Patreon. So, uh, if you didn't see last week, I also put out a Doraemon video. So, that's the one I did like probably three months ago at this point, and uh, it's just now finally coming out. It kept getting pushed off because of other more timely videos. So, I was happy to finally get that put out. Um, I really enjoyed that video. It seems like people who did watch it did seem to really enjoy it. Um, it did kind of putter out around like 100 views or whatever, but I wasn't expecting a lot out of it. So, um, But I do think that kind of video is maybe the way I plan to kind of push videos in the future, um, maybe. So I feel like the last three videos, which was Xenoblade Chronicles, maybe not so much the Chibi Robo video, honestly. I think... Re doing research and doing proper research is a very difficult, time-consuming thing. And I think unless you have real connections, um, you hit a lot of dead ends a lot of times. So I, you know, definitely if I ever run into anything that I think is worth talking about, I think I will. But, uh, you know, it's not something I can really consistently plan on. But I think the Xenoblade video and the Doraemon videos are good examples of probably what I would like to do going in the future, um, just in, in concept. But but we'll see. So that one's all done. And I think that's probably going to be the last big video for the end of this year, I will say. So, um, you know, I've, I've mentioned it before, but I am taking a little bit of a break on um, creating uh, kind of major content at the moment. Because I want to do a lot of time just kind of rethinking how I want to handle the YouTube channels and stuff. And uh, this week uh, for the Patreon, I actually have a post going up that maybe goes a little bit more in detail about that. Although, you know, if you've been listening to me and, you know, if you're in the Discord or whatever, you'll you'll see little bits and pieces of me talking about it here and there while I just kind of work through what I'm trying to do. But nothing's really set in stone at the moment. I really don't start to plan setting stuff in stone until probably December, honestly. Maybe late November as well, so... Very exciting. So, anyways, that's the update for content stuff at the very least. Um, one thing I can talk about that I did this week, though, is that uh, I ended up in a town square in uh, Las Vegas. And I hadn't been down there in a very long time. I think the last time I was down there was when the Hello Kitty food truck was there. Um, and so they had, like, little Hello Kitty things. But the line for the Hello Kitty food truck was ridiculously long. Um, and I ended up not going to the Hello Kitty food, food truck. Um, I may have also been, I think there might be like a Retro City Games down there as well, if I recall correctly. And I believe I've been there once or twice before, but I, I prefer the location on the east side of town instead. Um, although Town Square is kind of on the east, but the further east side of town, um, uh, Retro City Games. But anyways, um, so I was down there and there's two things that jumped out at me. One, um, so a long time ago, I forget what year this was, GameWorks shut down. Um, I believe they shut down all their locations within the U.S. I could be wrong about that, but that's the Sega's, 
at least Western uh, arcade branch kind of thing. And I, 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 there has been one in Las Vegas for a long time. When I was a kid, I went to a game works, but it was like on the strip. Um, this one was just in town square and I, I went a couple times, but the problem I ran into at that game works is that the machines were always kind of run down and not taken care of. So it felt like half the machines you put your credits in and then something would be wrong and you wouldn't be able to properly play the game. And so I kind of developed a bad opinion of the, the game works at least. And eventually they kind of shut it down, but apparently, and I'm, I mean, I'm sure this has been something that happened a long time ago at this point, cause I think game works shutting down was a while ago. Um, a company called Velocity Esports came in and took over and they acquired that location. So they still have that specific location. I went in there. I didn't actually play anything. I just kind of went in to take a look at what was going on. And it mostly looked like the stuff that was already there, honestly. Like it, it didn't, nothing jumped out at me as like something new, fresher, interesting. So I don't think I would ever go there. Um, maybe, I don't know if they had it before, but the esports aspect of this, right? There's like a little back room where essentially people can go in and they can play games on either a, a you know, console on a screen or they have like a uh, little setup where they have computer setup that you can do stuff too. So I don't know if they do any like official tournament stuff there at all or anything like that, or if they have any just like their own community based tournaments or whatever. I don't know how big this company is. I don't know if they bought all the GameWorks locations or anything like that. Um, but it was just in interesting to see because I thought that place was long gone at this point, but apparently it just, you know, essentially got the Sega Gigo uh, treatment where here in the U.S. it got put under a different name. But fortunately, no attached Taiyaki stand for you to uh, enjoy some Sega logo uh, chili dog Taiyaki. Very exciting. So, um, and the other thing I was uh, saw when I was at... Uh, um, Town Square was a new game shop open there. I went in there and uh, I asked the dude because the shop looked like it was kind of really low on inventory and like there's just kind of stuff everywhere. I did ask him, I was like, how long have you guys been here? He's like, ah, this is my second day here. So apparently the whoever owned it um, moved down here from California or whatever. So I think it's called uh, Play, Trade, and Repair. Um, I maybe should have double checked the receipt. He didn't even have his sign up at the time. Like it was so, so early on. So it was kind of interesting because... While it was very, very limited inventory, um, it was a pretty diverse range of inventory of just like, I don't know, like it, it felt like you you had a good mix of like, it kind of feels like if a GameStop suddenly started stocking like retro games to some degree, like it, it just, the focus felt on like more modern games, but it's just like, also we have these retro games here if you want it. That's just the general sentiment I felt. Um, but it was just like a very small amount of inventory, maybe about like 10 to 20 games per system kind of thing. So not, not a lot going on there. Um, in that regard. So I'll be curious to see how long they last and if they are competitive and how they build up. I might go back in like maybe a couple months and just see where they're at. Um, but the, uh, the big thing was, is that it was, it was pretty high cost. I felt like when I was looking at it, nothing like too terribly bad, but maybe like, you know, few, few three to $5 more expensive than I usually would expect for some games. Um, but, uh, the other thing that was a little iffy though, was, uh, re repro carts were kind of just mixed in with the regular carts. And maybe it's just, just a matter of, you know, we're setting up shop or whatever. And maybe, you know, I didn't ask about any of them. So they didn't tell me, Hey, this is a repro cart or not, but it wasn't like things were not clearly marked, uh, at all. So you had like reproductions of like, you know, trip world on the game boy that were way cheaper than they should have been kind of thing. Right. So, you know, I, I do a little worry a little bit about that kind of thing, but I think it depends on who your target market is too, honestly. So, you know, if you're going to, you know, town, town square, I feel like you're getting a more casual audience and they might not even care that it's like a repro unit, right? They just want the 
put the game in the actual cartridge slot and then have it turn on and go kind of thing, right? So that like I or at least I'd assume a lot of them do. Um, and the pricing seemed like they were not like charging you ridiculous amounts of money for an expensive copy of like 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 acting like Trip World was an expensive repro because it's it's not the, the the core the actual game for Trip World on Game Boy is but. Anyways, so it was just kind of kind of a little um, a little weird with that, but you know, again, I didn't ask about it. So if I asked, maybe he would have been like, "Oh yeah, that's a repro," but he is, you know, hiring other people. So you know, each person's knowledge and who the type of people he hires. If he's hiring someone who doesn't really know what they're doing, then that's a whole other thing. But I feel like when you run a store that has like trade-ins and stuff, um, you do kind of need somebody who has an understanding of that, though. Like you can't just hire in like any kind of high school student kind of thing, right? Although maybe your your policy is just go to pricecharting.com and choose what the average price is and offer that kind of thing or, or $10 below that or something. So anyways, um, so I didn't see a lot there that I was personally interested in. There was a Korean copy of Panya Golf for the PSP, which was kind of interesting. I don't think I've seen a Korean import game before. Um, but the uh, thing I ended up picking up was pack picks. Um, and it just looked like it was in pretty decent condition. I will say I am not great at picking out DS, um, repros. So it looked legit. The case looks legit. The manual and stuff, everything looks legit to me. Um, but who knows? Maybe the cartridge itself is, 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 um, you know, uh, a, a repro or not. I'm not great at picking out the DS stuff, but it was like 10 bucks, which, you know, I think is maybe a bit higher than it should be. But usually when I go to these stores, I try to at least buy something to, to offer some level of support. So, so yeah. Um, so yeah, that was my little adventure. And then, uh, and then the last thing is, is that I, I got my, some of the cables I was trying to do for the Windows XP machines, just trying to get them hooked up to my capture card. Um, I got my Dell desktop machine connected and working, so that that worked well. It took me a while, but it found out the reason why it was an issue, most likely, was just because I was stupid and plugging the HDMI cable into the HDMI out on my capture card. However, I was running the problems when I was connecting it to my actual switcher itself as well, which was already wired into the HDMI in, but after I got it working... And everything with the handshake and stuff, like, it, it, it seemed to play with the switcher just fine. So I'm not sure why the switcher was not having it initially. So the only issue I still have with those Windows XP machines now is um the uh, laptop, which I have sitting over here. Um, I got, like, a VGA to HDMI adapter for that. Um, however, the VGA to HDMI adapter is a powered one, um, which I want because um, that, that usually helps with, like, you know, quality and all that stuff. And, 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 and like get, make sure, sure everything scales properly. Right. Um, however, the power cable connector, like port, the USB port on the, 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 uh, adapter can, is like on the actual VGA adapter essentially. And unfortunately that connector is right by where the power cable goes in on that laptop. So it blocks that cable slot so you can't actually plug the usb in so i got to get that returned i went ahead and bought another one along with some cat collars so we'll see if that shows up and 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 and, and resolve that issue but yeah i've been i've been buying little bow ties for my cat because i think they're really cute and i'm just like i kind of want to just get a bunch of bow ties for my cat all the time so so they're mostly holiday ones right now because they're in the holidays but you know once we get to springtime i'll need to buy some more they're they are very cheap though i will say so i'm not buying very expensive ones so um, but right now he's a little pumpkin one on his on his necklace, and I'll I'll change that. You know, come come whenever those collars come in. Actually, probably is the real answer. But you know, if those collars come in before Halloween's over, then uh, then I will wait until Halloween's over before I change the pumpkin out. But 
had a little bit of trouble with that second VGA adapter coming in. It was supposed to arrive like three days ago, but Amazon keeps pushing it off being like, ah, we don't know what's happening. It's going to show up eventually kind of thing. So I'm like, all right, well, we'll give it a little while. I think they said if I don't get it by Monday, I should request a refund is what they said. So I don't know if the package got lost or what. Patreon time. Welcome to the Patreon corner where we have pro gamers such as Henry Dagger, Jillian, Paul Daniel, and Discreet all hanging out being the top tier Windy X Wyndham, who's going to win? Place your bets now. Who is the, the top tier Windy X Wyndham fighting game championship? Looking forward to finding that out. You guys organize that tournament. I'll check in on you later. So thank you again for your support. And if you do support the Patreon, which you can do for only $5, is um, you get bonus videos. Typically, this week's a little different because I did just kind of write up a thing that's going to give you some details on, on what's coming up. So it is like just a written post. But most of the time, you're getting bonus videos for every other week, basically. Um, so this week is that that written post that's going to give you some information about what's coming up here um, or my thoughts on what I'm doing uh, going forward. But uh, the week after, the next Patreon thing after that is the Kaminazo Part 4, I think is what uh, Kaminazo video that is. And then uh, I haven't figured out the rest of that stuff since then. <laughs> Once I get back from uh, uh, Portland and, and do my two panels, I'll need to figure out what the, the next Patreon stuff's going to have to be after that. So anyways, thank you guys again for your support. The other thing you do if you are part of the Patreon is ask a Patreon question, as Jillian has and as Jillian does for us each week. Um, and that is, what are your favorite special edition consoles? You know, I will be honest with you. I have made, I don't know if I've talked about this before. I am not a huge fan of most like collector edition, special edition things um, in two different ways. One for games they come with a lot of junk that I'm never going to use most of the time. And so it's like, well, I have this thing that like I have a fake Super Nintendo Umihara Kwase cart from that like um, Umihara Kwase plus plus collection or whatever for Vita. And it's like, why? Why do I have this? <laughs> like, what was the point of this? Um, but, uh, but you know, sometimes you can find stuff that's like interesting to if that. But most of the time, it just stays in the box. I'm not a huge fan of collector's editions because of that. Um, especially when I'm buying a game I haven't played before is another thing because like I don't know if I'm gonna like the game or not. Right. Um, the other thing for special edition consoles is I feel like they can also they can be kind of gaudy at times. Like I went out of my way to avoid the Wii U Wind Waker bundle. I did not like how that, like, Zelda embroidery looked on there. I think it just looks bad, in my opinion. If you like it, good on you. So I went and was like, I gotta get the fucking Nintendo Land Wii U bundle. Um, which I wanted to play Nintendo Land more than Wind Waker, honestly. Although I will say that, like, Nintendo Land is not a great game by yourself, I feel like. I don't know. Tell me in the comments if you like Nintendo, Nintendo Land's a great game to play by yourself. Um, but I always kind of felt like it was not um, the ideal experience for that game. Um, I need to go back and look at it and see if there's anything else I can do in it to consider myself have beaten it. I feel like it's, it, it is in my abandoned game piles right now, which is actually a very small pile, I will say. Anyways, but this is about my favorite special edition consoles, not the ones I hate. <laughs> so, um, so yeah, there are some ones that I, I do really like. Um, and there's three in particular that really came to mind. 
One is uh, actually two Dreamcasts, actually, the, like the pastel colored Dreamcast. So I really like the Hello Kitty Dreamcast. I think there's a blue and a pink one for the Hello Kitty one. And there's, there's like a keyboard set and everything I think you can get for it, too. But I'm sure it's like ridiculously expensive. I really like that that Hello, that uh, Dreamcast bundle. I wonder if part of it is because the Dreamcast has so few options. And I think maybe the other part of it, too, is that like... Most of the Western kind of special editions, different colored consoles that aren't portables in the the West usually got like a masculine color, right? So it'd be like, we're going to go with black. We're going to go with, you know, whatever. GameCube is like one of the few exceptions of purple. You know, you do have pink like PS2s, but it's, it's pretty rare, right? Um, so uh, I think it, that was like one of the nice things that like it's a very nice like pastel color for that. And then there's also the Sakura Tyson or Sakura Wars, uh, uh, one as well that I kind of fits within that same category. So like, if I had, if I was able to like get any Dreamcast that was ever released, and um, you know, just have it, uh, not have to pay a butt ton of money, I think it would probably be one of those two. Um, I think maybe the Hello Kitty ones. I, I just don't have a lot of connection to Sakura Wars, and I mean, I'm not like a huge Hello Kitty person, but I think Hello Kitty. Sanrio stuff is cute as a whole, honestly. So, um, yeah, I think that's probably why. I'm trying to remember. I feel like there's like an Xmas uh, Dreamcast that was like with the Merry Christmas Xmas Seaman console. I'm trying to remember if that's true. I feel like it is. So maybe, maybe honestly, I would be into that um, as well. But uh, I don't remember how it looked, and I feel like any kind of Christmas console is is gonna get that kind of gaudy in that gaudy space. Of just like most of the year, this thing's gonna look really, really silly. Silly, but for for one month out of the year, it'll be the most beautiful thing. And then you know, it's like, all right, Thanksgiving's over. Bring out the Seaman console and <laughs> bring the Seaman into our life. That'd be kind of a fun thing of just like, hey, for a month, we just have Seaman up and running on this Dreamcast for for Christmas. Merry Christmas, Seaman. Uh, I, I assume that thing did not come out in the West, the Merry Christmas Seaman one. Uh, I don't know if there's like a fan translation or not. There's like other Seaman games beyond the original one. I just don't think any of them ever got brought over here. I don't think there's that many though. I think there's like Seaman 2 and the Merry Christmas Seaman and maybe that that might be it actually. So And there's like a PS2 version of Seaman as well. So um, The other one I do want to talk about though is I really like the Char GameCube one. So Char is a character from the Gundam series um, and he's, you know, existed in different forms like Zex Marquis and things like that. But Char from the original Gundam series, I, I am a big fan of the original Gundam series. I liked Gundam, you know, 1979 or whatever it's called, right? Um, I like that series a lot, uh, it is my favorite Gundam series, despite, you know, having watched Gundam Wing as a kid. I didn't ever get into G Gundam much when I was a kid, but I think when G Gundam was getting localized, um, I kind of was in like an anti-anime mood and I was like, I don't why does this look so stupid? kind of thing right and just being a little dummy little 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 dummy boy <laughs> so i think maybe i'd like gene gundam more today but um i don't know maybe i don't know it is kind of like shonen in some ways and i don't really watch a lot of shonen honestly either so maybe someday i'll watch some g gundam probably would be a good idea if there's like a g gundam ova maybe that might be a way to consume that usually like for something like that where like i don't have a strong interest if i can just watch an ova and get kind of the point I'm pretty happy. We did that with like One Piece recently in the community Discord stuff. I'm like, this is a good amount of One Piece for me. I don't need to get invested in this um, hundred, you know, whatever episodes. But I feel like I understand what One Piece is based off like the two or three OVAs we watched while while we were playing One Piece Unlimited Adventure. So 
but yeah. So, anyways, uh, but yeah, all of this is say the Char GameCube. It's like a red GameCube because Char has a red outfit kind of thing. I forget, I think there's like emblems, but the box is pretty nice too. And like I I saw this GameCube when I was a kid as well before I liked Gundam and I thought it looked really cool. So that probably be if I had to choose one GameCube that I'd end up with in my life, that would probably be the one. Although the Tales of Symphonia one kind of fits within that like pastel one where it's like a kind of light teal kind of color. But I think I would get the Char GameCube, even though red's not really my favorite color, honestly. I like purple. Unfortunately, my, my purple GameCube has become the ultimate special edition where it was sitting in a cabinet, and I don't know if it was because of UV light or something, some other chemical reaction. There was some weird film that was on that GameCube. It was like, I left it in in a house across the country that I didn't, didn't wasn't there for years and years and years, and then I came back and got it, and it turned cobalt. And it was covered in like a weird film that did not look like dust. So I cleaned it off, but it's like a cobalt colored GameCube now. Disk drive doesn't work, although I've considered getting the um, the ODE drive and just putting it in there and, and, and using it that way. So, but that is my original GameCube. So it does have a special place in my heart, but it's just sitting in my closet right now. So hopefully not growing anything on it like it was when I was, uh, when I was just hanging out in Georgia and the high humidity place. So anyways, that's it for the Patreon question. Just as a reminder, if you do want to ask a Patreon question, um, on Monday at 3 PM Pacific time, I post up a post that has Jillian's next question. She provided us a large list of questions, thankfully. So we've had a list of questions to go through, but if you have a question you want to ask and you get it to me before Friday at the end of the week. I will likely ask it. Even if you get it later than Friday, I will probably answer the next week kind of thing. So just post your question in the comment and I'll go ahead and respond to it for Patreon people. So anyways, Patreon corner over and done. Welcome back. Welcome back to the real show. We got to talk about a video game. A video game that I was playing while I was mostly traveling. So it was like on that camping trip as well as when I went up to Oregon. Then I came back and kind of wrapped it up once I got here because I was getting pretty close to the end. And that game is Asphalt Urban GT. This is a Nintendo DS launch title, um, which I really didn't have a lot of um, faith it'd be a great game. If you don't know Asphalt, the Asphalt series or Asphalt Urban series, maybe, um, they it is a series developed by Gameloft. And Gameloft historically... Um, I don't know what they're doing today, honestly. I haven't looked into it much, but historically, we're kind of known for kind of cheap mobile ripoff titles of other games often. So, you know, and they weren't necessarily bad often. Like, I think there's like a Final Fantasy clone on on tablet and things like that that people liked. But this game in particular um, was a N-Gage title that got ported to uh, uh, Nintendo DS. And I think there might have been some history before the N-Gage as well, but the N-Gage seems to be the most representative of the version that ended up on the Nintendo DS. And this game launched alongside the DS, but it also came out like a month before Ridge Racer DS came out, which I did a video about before as well. But either way, I didn't really expect month much. But when I put it in, I was really, really surprised because it's just a really smooth arcade-style racer. It controls really well, it looks great, and I think it's just like a really impressive title for when it came out early on the DS, especially when you line it up against something like that Ridge Racer game I mentioned earlier, which the DS version of that game is kind of weird. So anyway, so in being an arcade racer, it is kind of generic where it's just kind of, you know, straightforward racer, but you have nitro boost, right? 
Um, and, and so you go through like an arcade mode, you have like a, a time trial mode, like a cop mode where you can like basically kind of like keep cars in front of you within like a radar space and it like, uh, basically arrests them or whatever. Uh, but really the big focus of this game is a, is a mode called evolution mode. And the evolution mode is essentially a career mode. And I'll be honest with you, I have not played career modes in other more, sim style racing games like a Gran Turismo or or even like a Need for Speed. It's not really realistic, but you know, I think Need for Speed games have had like career modes as well. So this is really my kind of first exposure to that. But in saying that I realized probably not a unique thing to this video game. But the 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 idea is of the evolution mode is you have different tournaments and you buy, sell, and upgrade cars and the the different cards you get and the different types of cards you get will let you enter different tournaments. And when you finish that tournament you get money. You can then use that money to buy a new car, but cars are usually really expensive. So usually I end up finding myself selling a lot of cars to kind of get myself to the next uh, tournament, but then you can upgrade the car to make them better. But if you sell them, it seems like all those upgrades are kind of lost and you don't really get a lot of money in return for them as well. Um, so there's about like 10 or so tracks and then they kind of go back and forth between them being forward and reverse. So, you know, I think it's like a decent number of tracks, especially for like a DS launch era game. But the, the kind of the big thing about this title is that each of these cars that you play feel immensely different to control. Like, like it's not so much that the Hummer is like, you know, I feel like when I think about like kart race or something like that, right? The, 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 the level of control that like a Bowser has versus like a, um, like a toad or something like that. It's very noticeable that like he turns less and then also he's like a little slower, but picks up speeds and goes a lot faster. But I feel like the handling of like a Hummer versus like a sports car in this game is almost entirely different. Like the Hummer's races are these kind of slow, like methodical races, almost like, you know, like a slow steel diver kind of thing or, or, or some kind of like controlling like a giant mech in some way where you turn, it's like kind of predict these turns where you can really wrap around a corner and things like that. And obviously like upgrading your car changes how that, that works. But you know, the style of racing you do with like one of those Hummers is incredibly different from the style of racing that you do with like a, a sports car. And I, I think that that range of differences, while, you know, it's not always that big of a, a difference. Um, I think that is really important because it does keep the races feeling fresh. And as you're buying and selling all these cars, each car has this own unique movement. So even though you're playing through essentially the same tracks over and over again, um, how you approach those tracks feels very different depending on the type of car you're, you're driving, uh, in, in, in my opinion on that. Um, there is some weird stuff with it though, where like certain things lack collision. So when you're driving down the road, there'll be like lampposts in the road and things like that. But, um, if you drive, um, if you drive into the lamppost, like they, nothing will happen. You just kind of drive right through it. Um, but I, I, I didn't think it was like a huge deal. It just was like kind of one of those weird things, especially since a large portion of this game, um, is focused on you breaking items in the environment to get more nitro boost. So, so I mentioned earlier, you can boost, but how you get your nitro is a couple different ways. One, it kind of very, very, very slowly naturally builds up as you're just driving. Um, you can also interact with other cars on the road. Uh, so if you get really close to another car, you get like a boost to your nitro. If you, uh, dodge a car or even hit a car at high speed, you'll like spin out on it and like you'll lose some speed but you'll get like a full bar of nitro kind of thing um and and there's like jumps you can do and things like that 
So so a lot of this game is really focused on like driving in ways that that encourage you to to play a little more risky than just, you know, always taking the safe line every time uh, to, to make sure you're getting the most nitro. You can get nitro from drifting too, but I feel like it's significantly less of a focus. Like it, you get it, but it's not, it's like maybe like a double up of like the slow nitro boost you already would have gotten. So it's not like a reliable way to keep a high level of nitro, which I, I do like, even though drifting is important for turns, it's not the focus for speed boost. Like that's kind of the problem with like Mario Kart games. I feel like is that drifting becomes a immense focus because of the speed boost where this game drifting is more about how it helps you go around the corner and less about, you know, this is the fastest way to go around because you're going to immediately like shoot out of this turn with a ton of speed or something like that, which I really enjoyed. Um, and so it just kind of encourages you to kind of like try different things while you're racing a little bit, but breaking the things in the environment are definitely, kind of the easiest way because there's just like a stack of boxes you drive through it you break them and then you get some speed boost um, um or nitro uh, uh filled up you get like five nitros in total that you can you can have um so what's kind of interesting though is that while the enemies themselves they won't like hit those boxes or anything like that um if you hit those boxes or any destructible items in the environment that give you that nitro they are gone from the race the entire race essentially so you have kind of this limited resource of nitro boost sometimes and you can only hold up the five nitro at once so there's kind of this like a little bit of planning sometimes where you're like okay i i'm gonna i really want to have boost available at the end of the race you know my third lap so you might go out of your way to avoid these boxes for every single lap for the first two laps just so you have something available that's easy to get and will let you really start you know just like jetting towards the end of the the the, the, the um you know the race kind of thing so i like that there's like a little bit of strategy in there as well so i think it's just like a good mix of of a lot of like considerations while you're racing that are like slight considerations that aren't like individually they aren't huge deals but overall they make you kind of think a little bit more when you're racing through the game with that um the other aspect of this game that i actually think is pretty cool is there's like a traffic aspect to it and so a traffic is obviously a part of a lot of racing games i'm not saying that's not you know, this is a unique thing here. But what I liked about the traffic in this game is how it behaved. And I actually did do a little bit of like looking at some other reviews a little bit. Cause I was kind of curious how people felt. Cause I thought this was like a great game. Like I probably get this game, you know, a high eight on the Nintendo DS if I were going to give it like a traditional score. Um, but it, I think the Metacritic sits around like a high six or something like that. So again, I haven't played a lot of these style of games before. So maybe it's just, you know, the, 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 uh, honeymoon phase of playing one of these for the first time or something like that. Right. Um, but, uh, the, the, uh, traffic is really interesting because, um, you know, you have the left side of the road that all the cars are coming at you, the right side where they're going away from you kind of thing. And some, some races have like more or less traffic and the higher difficulty gets kind of the denser the traffic gets. But one aspect that was kind of neat is like when, when cars would get in accidents, they would just like stop. Um, or at least that's my, what I understand is happening. So basically if you or AI racers drive into these cars and hit them, um, they'll kind of stop in their tracks. They might, you know, be on their uh, angle horizontally. So you can end up in these situations where like if a bunch of cars were hit at one point of the track, they're all just kind of stuck there and they just stay there the rest of the race. And so you kind of have this weird impenetrable wall that kind of shows up. You got to kind of navigate around on each on each lap kind of thing. It doesn't happen super often, I will say, but when it happens, you're like, it's, it's always just interesting to try to like get around. And you can also see all the AI also getting stuck on it. And then, you know, it's always kind of a blessing when you're in a really hard race. And then all of a sudden, you know, 
every racer in front of you is just stuck on all these cars. You're like, oh, I'm just going to slowly r- drive my way around this. Um, so so th- I, I liked that the aspect of the traffic was a lot more disruptive than I feel like other racing games. And it felt fair, I think is the big thing. Like the traffic didn't feel like something that was in the way of only you as the player. The AI seemed to often get caught up on it as well. And it's pretty punishing when you get caught up on traffic. And this is why I think part of why I don't mind that like some of the light posts and stuff that wouldn't break normally, um, that those things were, uh, um, didn't have collision is because actually like readjusting yourself when you come to a hard stop. Cause when you hit these things, I will say there's like no physics. It's just, you hit it and then you just kind of stop. Um, trying to back out and get around that stuff can be a little weird, especially if you have another AI card ramming into the back of you as well. Um, so it's a little finicky when you're like trying to, you know, back out and get around uh, something. But um, overall, I, I do think it was like a really nice touch to that game a lot. So, um, but yeah, and I just, I, I guess I kind of expected that like the Nintendo published racer for like, you know, with, with Ridge Racer on the DS would end up being kind of the, the better experience overall. But I, I really found that where like Ridge Racer, that game really struggled from overly sensitive controls and, and just like some weird collision stuff with other cars and things like that. It was really disruptive to racing and in a way that I felt like was, was not great. And then also the, the AI in Ridge Racer DS, the rubber banding is horrific. Um, once you get to the higher levels, I talked a little bit about that video where just like, sometimes you can do a perfect run and just like nothing changes. Um, and, and so it's just kind of, I was really impressed that like this, this kind of garbage, what I, what I perceived as garbage mobile game title that was just like hastily ported to the DS or something, uh, turned out great, runs super smooth, plays super well. And I think, you know, overall, I mean, is it the most inspiring game ever? Probably not. It is probably mostly like most other arcade racing games, but it, it just like works really well. And I think it's a great looking DS game as well. Um, I think it looks better than Ridge Racer. Although I think, I think Asphalt coming it from the end gauge maybe is probably part of the reason why plays a lot more with a uh, player perspective where they don't render out 3D, like full 3D environments. They usually have a very limited scope of a 3D environment in front of you. And then there's like these like 2D backdrops that kind of pres- like make it seem like there's an additional 3D environment. I mean, this is pretty standard stuff for the most part, but how they handle it in this game, I think is particularly well done. Um, and so like, I actually watched somebody playing on emulator and when you, when you, when you boost the resolution, you can kind of really tell, you know, where the, what, how far away these like 2d sprites are from you. And like, you can see when you come around corners, the big gaps in between them and stuff like that. But when you're playing on like the original DS resolution, I think it, um, it's really good at covering that stuff up and, and Ridge Racer overall looks good too, I'd say, but this game just looks a lot more flashy. So maybe I'm biased because it's a Las Vegas track. I do like that. The Las Vegas track has like four Luxors in it. And, and the, the, and all of Las Vegas is just like basically 20 casinos and then you're back out in the desert. So that was, that was kind of funny. So anyways, Asphalt for the DS, Asphalt Urban GT for the DS. Um, I think it's a great game and I, I personally think I would recommend it to anyone who is looking at like the DS launch lineup. It's definitely not a game to just like scoff off and be like, oh, Gameloft made a bad racing game or something like that. I haven't played any other Asphalt games other than I, I played Asphalt 9 a while ago. Uh, on uh, 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 when I went to the arcade kind of thing. So, and I'm sure there's like later DS games on the system that are, you know, you know, better racing games to some degree. Right. Um, But I I haven't played any of those, I will say. So anyways, very cool video game in my opinion. Let's talk about Castlevania Bloodlines. Castlevania Bloodlines. 
What do I want to say about Castlevania Bloodlines? Let me think about this for a second. Uh, you know, look. So if, if you don't know what it is, Castlevania Bloodlines for the Sega Genesis. So I'm playing the play, PlayStation 4 version here that I'm that I'm talking about is uh basically like the Sega Genesis uh Castlevania game. And it was at a weird time in the Castlevania history where like you had a bunch of these weird branches coming out of of, you know, post Dracula Dracula's Curse on the NES. So you had, you know, Super Castlevania 4, you have Rondo of Blood, and you have Bloodlines, and they all kind of went in their own direction, and different people worked on them and all that stuff. And ultimately, the Rondo of Blood people is kind of what ended up being the the ultimate vision of, or uh, group of, or the, some of the key team members from Rondo of Blood were the ones who uh, went on to, to uh, build that franchise out further. Um, but Bloodlines specifically... It's a pretty traditional Castlevania game, uh, gameplay-wise. You know, it is pretty much side-scrolling, straightforward, just like, hey, here's the map. We're going to take you from point to point to point. But I feel like the big thing with Bloodline specifically is um, that it has two playable characters. Um, you have uh, Eric Licarde, who has, like, a, a spear, a super jump, and, and a little bit of, like, a little spear twirl thing that you can do. And then you also have Jonathan Morris, which um, actually has a connection to uh, the... Well, both of them have a connection to Castlevania, a portrait of ruin on the nintendo ds but jonathan morris uh is like you're a more traditional belmont he has like the whip and, and, and unlike like a super castlevania 4 he doesn't have like a full range of motion with his whip it's more of that traditional whip forward kind of thing with the big difference being is that he can kind of whip onto every, any roof kind of thing or ceiling and then kind of like throw himself across which is something i never really ever got the hang of but the game also didn't like ask you to do a lot of a lot with it so you have these two different playable characters um but i think to me what was more interesting out of everything are the enemies in the game because you know some of the enemies do look like more traditional castlevania enemies um but there, there are many of these enemies in the game that really don't feel like castlevania enemies there's some of them that feel i think someone when i was streaming it mentioned that the bosses felt like gunstar hero bosses which i i would probably somewhat agree with um to some degree it's like these weird bosses that all are made up of all these different parts and things like that that kind of like stretch and and things like that it's, it's really interesting um and and the enemies themselves even if they look familiar sometimes will have like different attack patterns than what you expect like there's one part of the game where medusa heads just start shooting fire out of their mouth which is like as a longtime castlevania fan it's just like this is a crime what what is happening <laughs> with this but uh, that's what made it interesting right i feel like i was i was going forward and i kind of you know, the game itself feels like that traditional Castlevania experience, but when you ran into enemies, it really kind of jarred you and like shook you out of the, uh, a little bit when you're like, oh, this enemy is just behaving differently 100% than what I would usually expect. So like, it was really kind of interesting to learn different ways to approach those enemies to make sure, um, you know, you, you weren't, you weren't taking a lot of damage or getting knocked into pits and things like that. Um, the, I will say, though, that, like, I feel like the two characters themselves, um, well, it's cool that they're both there. I, I kind of wonder the point of making two different characters in this game. Um, so I know there's, like, different paths you can take based off their different special abilities. But, I mean, I mean, I, on my playthrough, at least, I only saw, like, maybe one or two rooms that you really would split off on and do something different in. So, like, it, that part didn't really seem to stand out to me. Um, so what, what I kind of found was, like, each of these characters... 
felt kind of stiff and it felt like like a part of their move set was missing almost. So if you're playing like Eric Lacarde, he can stab up in the air, but when he's jumping, he can't stab up in the air, which, you know, realistically makes sense, right? <laughs> like, like stabbing while you're jumping is a very difficult thing to do. Um, so, but then like Jonathan Morris can't whip upward, but he can jump and whip upward kind of things or, or things like that. So, so it's kind of this weird thing where like characters feel like they have their move sets taken away just for, to kind of give the other characters something that makes them different. And part of me really feels like that maybe it would have been better if they only stuck with one character and then gave that one character the ability to do the super jump or the ability to do the, the, the uh, you know, whipping swinging or whatever and the ability to attack in all four directions now you know there are differences with them in terms like you know how they attack and things like that like you know the spear you know gets a little further out and then i think the harder like the 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 higher level spear you get like i think it kind of stabs and then like there's like an end to it that like splits open and that does more damage i believe so there's definitely unique things with them but i i kind of feel like it was it feels a little forced to have these two separate characters and and on their own i would say that it's very they feel very stiff because they feel like they're just kind of missing moves at times um, where it's like, Oh, this character doesn't really have a way to handle like enemies in the same way this character does. Not really because, you know, there's anything to replace that. It's just that thing is missing from this character. So, you know, you can't jump and stab upward or something like that, or stab at an angle in the air kind of thing. So it, it, it just kind of felt like me to me that like these characters probably could have just been one character with like a more expansive move set. And, um, you know, probably even together i think would have been more balanced than say like a super castlevania 4 like part of the problem with super castlevania 4 if you don't know the the lore it's been a long time since i've talked about super castlevania 4 i'm not a fan of super castlevania 4 i think there's interesting things about it um but it is a game that uh i think makes you way too overpowered and and so it ends up in a situation where everything is kind of minimized by the fact that you have this whip that reaches across like the entire screen at like every angle cool idea don't get me wrong but i think you need to redesign that game in a different way it felt like somebody dropped a character into a traditional castlevania game that was like that was not limited in the in the proper ways for that um so i feel like these characters do feel balanced though is the big thing and, and i think if they were combined that would have felt balanced too and so even though they have a little bit more expansive moveset than like say a trevor belmont on you know castlevania for the nes it still feels like the characters um um you know aren't 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 able to undermine the, the stage design very often if at all kind of thing um there was a couple weird spots where like some of the like jumping was kind of weird where like there's this giant gear in the clock tower and like for eric Lacarde, it's easy because you just do the super jump up and you're up there but like for for jonathan morris I, I tried that jump like 30 different times and eventually it just worked and i don't really know why it worked honestly i was like okay well it's like this gear that's like at a really weird angle and you try to jump on it because it looks like you can jump there but i just kept falling through and i didn't really understand why that kept happening kind of thing so so yeah, but I, I think overall it's a really well balanced game, and the characters have unique move sets. Um, I just kind of feel like they like two playthroughs with them wasn't really worth it for the most part. Um, the sprite work is really simple in this game too. I will say, like I I don't know Sega Genesis very well. I've not played that many Sega Genesis games, but I feel like Bloodlines like the the sprites look really flat in a way that I really didn't. Um, I don't feel like any other Castlevania games look that way. Maybe there's like some system limitations that uh, resulted in that. However, I, they did do a lot with um, the 
like sprite sprite scaling and stuff like that, which I believe like the Genesis out of the box did not support kind of thing. Um, or if, if it did, they had to do like a lot of trickery to make it work kind of thing. I don't think it was like something that most developers were doing. So there's like some really interesting levels where like the, the, like there's like the leaning tower level and the tower kind of swings back and forth as you go up it. Um, which I, I don't really like that segment very much cause it's just kind of like a weird jump up and like nothing really changes. But the ones I do like are the, um, the final stage There's like parts of the screen that like split in half. So there's like, parts of the game where you're like trying to figure out where you are because like different parts of the screen are on the screen at the same time. Your character might be split up between two different sections of the screen. It's all one room, but it's just like your view of that room is really distorted. And I think that's a really fun way to go about that. There's also a boss fight that's like on top of a rotating pillar. And I think that looks really cool. I, I think the actual mechanical aspect of that fight, maybe I just didn't really grasp it, but sometimes it was really hard for me to tell which way I was going to be rotating um so that, that was like the one hard thing about that fight but it's still i appreciated the attempt there um so those two aspects of the game i, I did end up really enjoying and a lot of like just weird sprite skilling with the bosses and stuff and like i mentioned there's like kind of gunstar heroist where like bosses are made up of multiple sprites at times that are like floating around and things like that and some of the most unique boss fights in general like death's boss fight is kind of neat because it's like a bunch of cards and you basically in a very gunstar heroes kind of way um sit there and like select the card that you want to battle with so it's like a boss rush but you like select the individual cards and kind of thing so um i ended up playing through it with safe state so i can't really comment too much on the difficulty um i what i generally try to do when i play games with safe states is i try not to save like a bunch through a level and be like this is my i'm gonna put a little you know little spear point down kind of thing that's like okay this is where i'm gonna restart from because i just got through that hard section i do that occasionally depending on how much patience i lose especially on like a stream right where i'm just like i i just want to keep going so we can keep the stream moving um but i usually like to set like a safe state at like a point that i know is like a checkpoint in the game and so i usually use it as like a unlimited lives kind of thing is my 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 goal at least so um, I know some people that's like, hey, you're not playing through the game then, but uh, I think it's worth mentioning because I, I did think the game was pretty hard and, and it has a pretty lengthy, lengthy levels in general. Like each level is like distributed into 10 different parts and, and there's like mid bosses in between that feel like they should be like full bosses and stuff. And you're, you're like desperately want that heal in the middle of the, the game. And, and if you run out of continues, as far as I'm aware, you go back to the start. You do have a, a password system, though. So, you know, if you want to keep a password down of like your last known decent uh, condition, <laughs> it'd be good to hold on to that. I will say I couldn't figure out the Castlevania collection on PS4 had like um, larger save state support. I just was using the quick save feature. So I was just trying to play it safe and just kind of save where things made sense without, you know, without abusing it too much kind of thing. So anyways, but I thought it was a really interesting game. Um, it's maybe, it's maybe one of the weaker, I feel like of the more traditional Castlevania games, but I do think it is one of the more interesting of those. So that kind of automatically gives it like some kudo points for me. Um, but I, I do think it could have definitely been a, an improved video game as well. Um, but yeah, I still think like the, the enemy design, I think is the really big thing. Like each enemy and boss in this game feels pretty distinct from the rest of the Castlevania series. And for a series that honestly, in my opinion, and this is part of the problem I had with Castlevania as it was like dying, um, was just like, it, it really relies heavily on reused assets and reused designs and things like that. And so, um, having a game that doesn't do that. 
I think is um, is really nice and, and and it was just a nice thing to sit down and spend some time with. So anyways, I did stream through the whole game. If you guys want to check that out, um, we played through with Eric Lacarde on stream. Um, however, I just played it offline using Jonathan Morris myself. I was going to go through and maybe do like a, a little bit more of a strict, um, like not as safe steady run. But when I sat down and started playing it, I was like, I don't think I care enough about like what Jonathan Morris's moveset is in this game to care like, it felt like I was just kind of doing it just to say that I was beating Jonathan Morris's thing, which I think is part of why I'm like, maybe it should have just been one character kind of thing. So, so I ended up just kind of more or less doing what I did on stream, which is like save stating. And then if I got to a part that was particularly troublesome and I just was like, ah, I'm done with this, maybe being a little more generous to the save states than usual. So anyways, that's it for this week, though. Thanks for coming. OneShowPort.com is the website. Um, like I said, I think the um, news is going to slow down here in the near future, so um, I might try to play some smaller games, and so I can kind of keep giving you guys some updates on that stuff. Uh, but you know, once uh, sometime soon here, I think it's uh, next weekend. Let me see. Um, so this next weekend, I'm I'm good for another normal podcast. The week after that, the 10th of November. I will be out, so I'll be recording another early podcast, so I'll try to figure out how we're going to do that. That's going to be just like a traditional episode, but just like the content cut off earlier in the week, or if that's going to be like a replacement episode where we do like a ranking or something like that, maybe I can consider something like that. So part of me wants to do like a Zelda ranking, but my problem with Zelda rankings, I think, is that I feel very, um, like, uh, I guess I would say even about most of the games like a lot of the games i feel are similar level quality wise and i just feel like they do different things but it might be interesting to try to figure that out and try to actually rank those and see if i in reality sitting down and like numbering things and getting a letter or putting putting a letter on things would be kind of fun so um yeah but anyways uh so if you haven't watched it go check out that door i'm on video otherwise for the stream this week we're gonna be playing napple tail hopefully finishing that up and so we'll do the casual review if people are there um, when we, when we talk about an apple tail and then, uh, after that, I think the stream is going to be kind of, uh, a little more relaxed as we kind of prepare for, I think a shift of, of direction in general for the channel, but I think streams are going to be a part of that too. And, uh, and maybe we'll take something where we're, we're a little more flexible in what we're doing. Maybe don't have entire streams dedicated to like one video game all the time kind of thing. Right. Um, so we'll, we'll figure that out though. Um, but for now, at the very least, um, plan is to wrap up Napple Tail this upcoming week and then we'll maybe do something in between. I, 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 I'll, uh, because I'll be flying Thursday night, uh, on the week of the 10th, I will, uh, need to try to figure out if we're going to stream a day early, probably stream a day early just cause I don't think there'd be anything that week that would get in the way of me doing that. Where the last time I missed my stream, it was because family was in town and it just wasn't working out where, where I would have time to sit down and come home and stream for a long period of time, especially since I had to record the podcast still. So Anyways, thank you guys so much for your time this week. OneControlBoard.com is the website. Be sure to check us out on your favorite podcast platforms if that's what you prefer. We're also on YouTube if you want to go check that out. It's on the playlist on, on the One Control Board YouTube channel if you want to check that out. And then, uh, yeah, I'll give you guys an update here, um, you know, as we go into the end of the year. And hopefully uh, I can present you guys with what things will be. The vision of the future. Ben's vision of a future one control port utopian, I guess. I don't know. All right, you guys have a great week. Bye.